Unique, yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And glad to have you on board once again as we will continue our series tonight on 30 years of Orlando Magic basketball history. Andrew Monaco, who worked with the team in the early 90s. And now the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies. He is going to be our guest this evening to look back at that history. But first, we will talk about the National Football League playoffs. The divisional round this past weekend, New England blows out the San Diego Chargers of Los Angeles. Kansas City did the same to Indianapolis, so the AFC side was a little lopsided. The NFC side, much closer. LA's other playoff entry, the Rams, they ran all over the Dallas Cowboys with uh, well over 200 yards rushing with C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley. And the New Orleans Saints rally from a 14-0 deficit to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. So in both conference championship games, the top two seeds will slug it out, and both are rematches from the regular season. New England at Kansas City. It was the Patriots winning the first go-around in the regular season, 43-40. to And in the NFC side, the Saints beat the Rams in the regular season, 45-35. And they will go at it at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome for that contest. Looking back, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles, they got into the playoffs thanks to the magic of Nick Foles, who for the second straight season came to the rescue. Last year, it ran to an improbable Super Bowl run. This year, he basically picked them up from just the about being dead and out of it to making the playoffs and nearly getting to the NFC Championship game. And, you know, I was thinking about Foles, and how he has come in on the white horse. And it brought to mind a memory to me, and I got to thinking, is he this generation's Earl Morrill? And as I started to do a little uh, Google searching, the New York Daily News had an article a couple days ago about that. Earl Morrill, the man with the great crew cut, <laughs> he was a, uh, a, a tremendous backup quarterback uh, with both the Baltimore Colts and the Miami Dolphins, got the Colts to uh, Super Bowl three for an injured Johnny Unitas. Of course, that was the game they lost infamously to the Joe Namath, I guarantee it, and the first AFL team to beat an NFL team in the title game. Later on, he would uh, help lead the Colts over the Cowboys in Super Bowl five in relief of uh, Johnny U. And then... The perfect season of the Miami Dolphins in 72. Earl Morrill picked up in, I think, the fifth game of the season for an injured Bob Greasy and got them 11 more wins all the way to the AFC Championship game. He was replaced in that game, and Bob Greasy started and won the Super Bowl, but they don't get there without Earl Morrill. And definitely an underrated uh, uh player in his day, maybe not underrated in the day, but maybe as history looks back, he, he should get more love for what he did, and that was a uh, great accomplishment to, uh, you know, he played with two great quarterbacks in Johnny Unitas and Bob Greasy, and was always considered as such a valuable teammate and one of those guys everybody lo- on the team loved. Nick Foles, a lot of the same things. The question will be, can the Eagles afford to keep him? Or do they trade him? Do you keep him and move Carson Wentz? Wentz has gotten injured every season he's been in the league. 
but he has a lot of upside, and he is the future. He is younger than Foles, and most likely that'll be the path they go. But he is great insurance if you can afford to pay that tap. While the head coaching carousel continued to spin in the NFL, the you know if the world recycled like the league does with head coaches, the world would be oh so great. So Bruce Arians, out out of a one year retirement and doing a little broadcasting with CBS, will go to Tampa Bay. Good luck fixing Jameis Winston. I think he's far too broken, but we'll see what Mister Arians can do. Adam Gase. Going to the New York Jets after getting dumped by the Miami Dolphins and a wild introductory press conference where his eyes were literally bugging out the whole time. Apparently, he's a very intense individual. Assistants getting some chances. Now, there's usually the, the next path. You know, everybody's trying to find that next great guy who's come up through the assistant ranks. Matt LaFleur to Green Bay, coming off of being the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. The Bengals trying to get some of that Sean McVay magic. They're getting Rams quarterback coach Zach Taylor. Denver going the defensive way with the Bears defense coordinator Vic Fangio. Miami said to be locked in on New England's defense coordinator Brian Flores. And Cleveland, they promoted offense coordinator Freddie Kitchens. I thought Greg Williams should have gotten that job. He did get them turned around after the Hugh Jackson fiasco. But Freddie Kitchens was also an important part of that. And so at least they're staying consistent and keeping some of the things in place that uh, were successful for them. The real surprise, though, Cliff Kingsbury to Arizona after compiling an overall losing record in college at Texas Tech. I'd say he's gravy training off the Pat Mahomes success since he coached Pat in college. Also coached Baker Mayfield for a year before he moved on to Oklahoma. So the plan is that he would be able to uh, be the quarterback whisperer for Josh Rosen, their uh, rookie quarterback of a year ago. We'll see what happens there. I think this is a reach. But you also, on the other hand, got to think, well, you know, they did not go the traditional route like everybody else. If this works, it's a heck of a home run. I don't have a lot of faith in it. But you can't ever fault anybody for trying something just a little bit different. Before we get to our conversation with Andrew Monaco, a quick shout out to Matt and April at Cups and Pups Coffee. They have their coffee card out weekday mornings, 6.30 to 10.30 on Highway 441, just north of Apopka, about halfway between Rose Avenue and Clericona Okoe Road. Definitely uh, tremendous coffee. They have all sorts of different flavors and they make them to your perfection. And they also do events. Reach out to them on Facebook. Look for them searching for Cups and Pups Coffee. And uh, I have proclaimed them the official coffee of Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Joining 
us now on the podcast, a former media colleague of mine that was the original host of the Magic Radio Network, also covered the team on Sunshine Network as well, and he is currently the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies. We welcome Andrew Monaco to the program. How are you, Andrew, my friend? I am I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be back with you. Yes, it is. And can you believe it's already been 30 years for the Orlando Magic? <laughs> No, I can't. It's a, it's a, it's amazing. Uh, I, I like to think I'm. Well, I guess I get. I'm getting older. I'm not growing up, but I know I'm getting older. So that's the way that goes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, so back in the day, how did Andrew Monaco come upon this opportunity with an expansion NBA franchise? I had uh, at the at the time. Uh, I guess it would have been seven seven forty wins. I think they went seventy four wins when when we got there. Seven forty wins. Uh, Chris Russo had left. Was doing the talk show there. Left. They hired uh, an afternoon talk show. Would end up being Mark Daniels, and they needed a morning sports anchor. I got that job. Uh, over the course of that first season for the Magic, uh, if you remember, the Magic's first year. Bud Sports was handling their rights, uh, their broadcasting rights. Mm-hmm. Then they were going to bring it. They were going to bring it in house. The Magic were going to bring the broadcasting in house. I would learn this later. Uh, <laughs> Jack Swope would drive his kids to school. Would be listening in the morning to the news. His kids, one of them named Andrew, liked me. So when I went to interview, it was, it was an interesting. You know, the interesting job was uh, to host the Magic and also do baseball in the summer because the magic had bought the, the the twins at the time and made them the Orlando Sunrays. so it was, a, it was a combo job jack would tell me that later that uh, his his sons liked how how it sounded and it allowed me to become a, a broadcast manager at that time and uh hosting hosting the radio and 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 working on the um uh, magic affiliates uh, as well. So that was, that was how I was able to get there by being there in Orlando, helping cover that first season. And then, then I would join the organization in um, April of 1990 at the end of that, in, of that first season, uh, becoming their broadcast manager. So tell me, you know, uh, for people who don't know, because it used to happen a lot, especially like in baseball in the minor leagues, the, the play-by-play guy is uh, is often uh, uh, going out and either selling or handling network affiliations. How, how, what kind of aspects of that job were interesting? That was, that was, that was a little new for me, uh, especially with the, uh, with the affiliates. And I remember we had to have, well, obviously Orlando and the, and the flagship, uh, which was 740 at the time before it went over to WDBO. We had to have an affiliate in Tampa, Tallahassee, Jacksonville. I can't remember if Daytona had to be one or not. And then we would, we would fill in uh, affiliates around the state. So we got to about, I think the farthest south we had was Port St. Lucie. And then at a certain, at a certain point, then it was the exclusivity for the Miami Heat. But we had a, we had a pretty good network, if I remember correctly. Um, and then it, what made me chuckle was it, it was, I guess, less than a year before that, 
I had been calling these stations for jobs, looking to see for jobs, <laughs> not getting anybody to answer. So I, I joke with Dennis Newman. We, we had the running joke because he replaced me. And I said, remember, remember when we were working and we couldn't get these people to answer? But it used to be then, you know, hey, I'm calling it. This is Andrew Monaco. I'm sorry, general manager's in a meeting with the Orlando Magic. Oh, hold on. That meeting is just breaking up now. And Dennis and I always laughed about that. Like they were taking our calls now because we were, we were with the Magic. But we were by ourselves. We, we couldn't get anybody to answer the phone. So I, that was that was a really that was a neat aspect. And I remember in the early part, um, the Magic would play a number of preseason games all around the state. And I really liked doing that, whether we went into Tallahassee or uh, Tampa or Jacksonville. We'd, we'd play those games. I remember playing in Daytona. It was neat. And, and we always had our affiliate nights every year. And it was great to see all those affiliates. I think it was a big part uh, I think that was a big part of the success. It wasn't just Orlando's team. I really think it was a lot of Florida's team. Um, and and I, I, I truly believe this, that if David Steele was not a part of that in the early going, and that's taking nothing away from the TV side mm-hmm. with Chip and Goose, but I think David, and because of having been at Florida, uh, so well-known, uh, and the reputation uh, that he has, uh, I'll say had in the past tense, going back to 89 and 90 and 91, I think that really helped us. And when they knew that David was going to really be the broadcast, uh, I I think that was a big reason why we were able to get um, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the affiliates that we did. We knew there wasn't going to be a lot of winning uh, being an expansion team, although we won quicker than, than we thought we did. I just think having David attached to it, uh, it was going to sound really good. It was going to be a quality broadcast. I think his reputation helped us uh, in, in the early going convince a lot of affiliates to, to take the magic at that time. Yeah, that is a great point because, uh, you know, because a lot of people don't remember that David was the, the voice of the Gators for several years uh, prior yeah. to joining the magic. Um, so let's look at that first season. And, and I, I remember that first season so vividly, especially when they came out of the gate seven and seven and people were thinking, could they be a playoff team? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, it's, and it's and it's that group of four. I, it's how I kind of look at them. The group of four: Charlotte, Miami, coming in in '88. We came in with Minnesota, and there was a lot of people. I relied on a lot of those folks in Minnesota. I remember for the broadcasting part, and uh, you know, Minnesota had some success early, also, which was. I remember, I remember Pat Williams saying that the, the big template for the Magic was what the Dallas Mavericks had done. And I think they came in in 80. Donald Carter, their, their original owner, uh, they really liked the way Dallas did it. It took a little while for the Mavericks to get good. And you're right, with that kind of start, we were all wondering, how was, <laughs> how was this going to be? Uh, and it was, it was really interesting. And I think that really, I think it had the rest of the league take notice. Because remember, if I'm not mistaken, Miami went, what, 0-17? Their yes. first start. Mm-hmm. Pat had that rivalry. He wanted that rivalry with Miami that Miami wanted nothing to do with, which I thought there was absolutely no playfulness at all. And to me, that's how, always how, how, how Pat dealt. Uh, was it Lou Chaffel? Was he one of the owners? He wanted nothing to do with the magic and that rivalry. They thought they were better than everybody else. To me, that's how, that's how I took it. So to have that kind of success, but I think that was the work that Pat had done and had known the league and they, they had a, 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 
a good, I mean, it was a good team for an expansion team at the time to have a Matt Gukas as your head coach and the work that was done. But that was, that was a little eye opening, wasn't it? And you thought, wow, it's not going to, it's not going to be this easy. You knew it wasn't going to be that easy, but it certainly was a lot of fun having, having that kind of success that first season. No doubt. And of course, the Magic uh, got uh, got rolling and, and achieved a lot of success in the early seasons. Obviously, ping pong balls helped, uh, and, mm-hmm. and and you get and you and you get uh, Shaquille and Penny, and and what an amazing time that was when the Magic became playoff contenders and championship contenders. I'll, I'll never forget the Mr. DeVos. Why not us? Why not now? Uh, and I find I, I find myself saying that in certain. Uh, in certain instances as well for, for new teams. And uh, it, it really did. It came together quicker than I think anybody thought. Um, and I, I can remember the draft night uh, when it was uh, announced Chris Weber, but we were never going to keep Chris. It was, it was Penny Hardaway all the way. And the, and the, and that was, that was, um, that was a tough reception at the time in, in that building in Orlando arena at that time. And, and, Penny turned out to be a, a wonderful pick. But if you remember, it was Chris Weber, Chris Weber the entire time going into it, where I think Magic fans expected it to be Weber when it wasn't, hadn't really noticed how good a player or a great player at the, at the time that, that Penny Hardaway was. And I know it didn't end, it didn't end well, but uh, that, was a, that was a key building block for that. And then the Shaquille. I remember Pat told me a story that when they got the first pick the first time, Everybody in the league had congratulated him and good, good for you. And I always felt, yeah, that was fine because they knew, well, one pick wasn't going to really change the fortunes that much. Well, when the Shaquille O'Neal came, <laughs> he didn't get the same number of calls. <laughs> now, now the Magic were becoming a threat, although he did say that Jerry Colangelo was the one who, who had called him. But, you, you know, it's not just getting the picks. You have to make the right picks, and, and they certainly did. And then, you know, those – those teams that went to the finals or, or were, were legitimate contenders were really built well, um, really built well. Uh, and there, there was a reason that wasn't a fluke. Uh, and they had to, you know, they had to take their lumps also. What was it? The tiebreaker with Indiana and the Pacers and, and missing out and then throttling the Pacers in that game seven, which is one of the loudest buildings uh, I've ever been in yes, that Orlando arena. And they won. I remember that that was really loud. Um, and even to the point of, you know, I, I remember even the, the, the it was the, maybe the closest sweep you've ever been involved in uh, <laughs> against Houston. But I remember Brian Hill saying that he wanted that team to take a look at that moment and remember it because they were they were going to be back and it and they would not be back. They would be, you know, uh, thwarted before then. It would take the you know the Dwight Howard years to do that. But uh, I mean, that was that was inside out play. You had the three point shooting of 3D and Dennis Scott. You had the dynamic point guard in, in Penny, and you had, you know, Nick Anderson, who seemed to be Orlando's own. I mean, you talk about someone who was embraced by that town. Uh, you bring in Horace Grant, a proven winner. Uh, your, your role players there, whether it was the Anthony Bowies, you know, guys like that. That that was a that was a solidly built team. It really was, and uh, I, I thought that was that was a lot of fun to watch that come to fruition. And interesting you mentioned that because uh, when I had Barry Cooper on the podcast, he said, you know, John Gabriel does not get enough credit for what took place in building that team. Everybody thinks it was, I don't want to say luck. I shouldn't say that, but oh, everything fell into place. You had to make the right selections. As, as, as you have seen throughout the league, you can make the wrong pick. You could pick Anthony Bennett, number one, 
mm-hmm. if you're Cleveland, and, and that did them absolutely no good. And, and again, the reason why that hurts is not when you have LeBron James. It's not going to hurt you to miss that pick. LeBron's gone. So now you can't rely on that number one pick anymore. I know it became Andrew Wiggins and you get Kevin Love, things like that. But you've got to make the right picks. And, and I, I'm with Barry on that one. I think Gabe did a, you know, did a, a masterful job. Uh, in the early going, that wasn't easy because there's no expansion. I, I want to say maybe the Vegas Golden Knights in hockey, other than that, expansion teams never get great, never get great picks. You had to do your homework there. And I also think the other thing that they did very well was was pick players who wanted to be in Orlando and allow the Magic fans to embrace them mm. um, before that. So not just your not just your your draft picks. And Nick Anderson was a, you know an outstanding pick, but you had to get veterans um, who wanted to be in that situation, the Terry Catledges and the Jerry Reynolds and things like that. They wanted you had to make sure that they had to be there and the and the right veterans and I think that you know, the Dave Corzines and stuff like that you that, that can be a tricky mix as opposed to just picking 15 castoffs and and hoping for the best so from that point to also being masterful in the draft I, I think Gabe did a terrific job so who would who would you say was your favorite magic player in your time here who Daryl Armstrong always stands out. Bo Outlaw yeah. would stand out. The heart, um, and hustle, the heart and hustle team. Yep. The, the heart, the heart and hustle team. Uh, Doc is will, will always be one of my favorite head coaches. Uh, it is. It has been great to see him throughout the years. Um, uh, even with my time with the Spurs, and he was with the Clippers or with the Celtics. Always, always good to see him. Ah, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about it. Um, it, I, it could be early. It could be a little later. Uh, yeah, it might be. It might be. It might be those guys. Like Ben Wallace was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. I, I, Armstrong's. I, he's one because I used to see him a lot with the Mavericks. He was an assistant with the Mavericks. Uh, Tom Sterner, an assistant coach, would be with the Mavericks. Uh, Eric Musselman was one of, and I know we're getting to the coaches, was one of yep. Chuck Daly's assistants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Muss and I would end up doing uh, uh, G League games together for TV, uh, and the stories that he would tell <laughs> were absolutely awesome, I, and, I'm, and I'm thrilled at all his success. Well, you know, the, the players are really so good to us. Uh, I, you know, I had known Matt Gukas a little bit from the beginning, obviously with Pat and, and Gabe in that, in that front office. I think when I was hired, there was like 20 people and we were still in the Orlando arena. And before that, that grew. And then obviously RDB sports and things like that. But I, I think, I think it's hard to pick just one because I think they were so down to earth. I think it was a different time. And again, being, being such a, a an integral part of central Florida uh, and Orlando. But I, I think, I think the overachievers like the Scott Skiles, um, the overachievers like Daryl Armstrong, the Bo Outlaws, I think you kind of side with them because you knew those guys and Ben Wallace were going to give you everything every night. And then off the court, they were some of the nicest guys in the world. Well, you mentioned your time with the Spurs. So after Orlando, you spent uh, about, what, 16 years working with and covering yeah. San Antonio. I mean, you got to witness yeah. a lot of greatness with that franchise. Several championships, great players like Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, talk about your time there. 
Uh, special for me, uh, my first year is 0203, and uh, I actually went there for uh, hockey and WNBA, and the and the Spurs was really uh, thankful that I had that opportunity. I would fill in for a couple of things, and about five years into that, I went to the Spurs full time in their in their TV department uh, or broadcast department. Um, but it was it, it to me, uh, it was nice to go someplace else. Uh, it was a, it was a terrific opportunity for me broadcasting wise to go there. Um, I, and as I say that 13 years in Orlando, all that I did, um, I've always said this. I don't think I could have been prepared for any of my moves if I didn't have, uh, the good fortune of doing what I did. So, you know, from a broadcast manager to hosting to, uh, when David would miss games, it allowed me to do TV, uh, for the, for the magic television network. Uh, to then working for at the time Sunshine Network and freelancing and, and then getting able to do some things on a national level. Uh, that really helped me in my move to San Antonio and to the Spurs. Um, and I'm thankful and grateful to all those, uh, to all those opportunities with the Spurs, uh, you know, 03, 05, 07 were championship years. Uh, those were special. And then to do it again in 14 and, and to be around that culture, uh, the Spurs culture, uh, really, something special. Uh, what 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 R.C. Buford and, and Greg Popovich have there. Um, very much. What I liked is hired to do the job, and there's not a lot of micromanaging being done there. And that's that's from purely just looking at the at, you know just the organizational part. Um, again, to have a to have a Tim Duncan lead the way. Um, that selflessness, the one, the the ability to be coached, but also the ability to be the absolute best. Mm-hmm. And I've often felt that he's going to be more appreciated the longer he's not playing. Agreed. Uh, you know, I, he's to me what Bill Russell is to his generation. Tim Duncan is to his generation. I think he's that type of player. Um, and to watch Tony Parker grow up from a 19 year old uh, to watch maybe my all time favorite player at Manu Ginobili and what he has meant. Uh, that, that was, that was something to, to watch. And I, this is the thing I don't think pop gets enough credit for is pop has adapted as the game has adapted from a guy who was, uh, an assistant coach with Don Nelson in the run TMC days of golden state warriors, which was a little bit of a precursor to the game now, but not as much mm-hmm. to then very much an isolation game with Tim, because that's who he had. He had Tim Duncan and David Robinson. So you could go with the isolation game. Then to the beautiful game that they played when they when they beat Miami in 2014. If you ask Pop, he always says, "Look, I'm just running Doug Moe's motion offense. I'm just running what Hank Egan taught me years and years ago." But uh, I I really think it's more than ju- you know. He always says, "Well, I drafted, I I inherited David Robinson. I drafted Tim Duncan. I I, I that's what's made me so smart." But he has really stayed with the game to bring in the three point shooters and the three and D guys and. His role players, uh, I think, have always bought in, but his superstars were the ones who wanted to win more than more than anything. So to be in that culture and be a part of it will always be something special to me. Well, so quite, kind of nationally, Greg Popovich has kind of been painted as kind of a, a surly kind of guy, and <laughs> you know, the, and the and the and the, you know, the 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 TV interviews, which of course the late great Craig Sager managed to make a, a good bit out of it. But um, <laughs> so tell tell us what the real Greg Popovich is like. You know, Pop has always Pop has always said this is that if they would decide to do that at any other time, but while he's working, he would be fine with it. <laughs> but it's right in the middle. That's when he's working, and I think Pop is at his best when he's miked. 
uh, for the whole game and, and you can run it through the, you know, have the league look over it, see what he says in the huddles and all that. What is he, he's fascinating. I, I find him absolutely fascinating. Now, I have had the good fortune of working with a group called Wish for Our Heroes uh, in San Antonio and I'm hoping to start my own branch here in, in College Station. And Pop has been a part of this group that helps military families uh, cope with, and it could be simple things of, uh, you know, uh, one, the, the, the husband is deployed, the wife and the kids are back home and the washing machine breaks, or they need to get a, you know, they, they could, they need a van uh, for the family, a bunch of things like that, like the simple stuff and the money that gets raised, then we grant these wishes for these families. Pop has been so good about it, and he's been on the uh, really in the in the in the shadows of this. But he's a, an integral part of why this this group is is phenomenal. So I met Jeff Wells, who runs this group, and I once once I learned about, it, I was like, oh, I, I want to be a part of it. Then I learned that Pop was in was in on it also. So to talk with him on that level, as well as a basketball level, as well as a life level, because Pop wants his players to be well-rounded. So they'll go to the Civil Rights Museum when they're in D.C. Or he will arrange a trip somewhere, you know, for these, for these, for these players. And again, it's more than just basketball because he knows that he wants them to be the best husbands and brothers and, and sons to the, to their parents as well. Um, yeah, he comes off. He comes off. Uh, you know, in those interviews, again, understand that that always gets voted down every year, and every year the league still wants to do those. That's why. <laughs> that's why he makes it so difficult. But you know, he's he's fascinating because he's as smart as anybody that you're ever going to know. But he's, but he's not a. It's funny you, you, when you talk with him and you have something to offer. He's he's going to listen, and I think he's a man who always learns, constantly reading. You can tell that he's very bright, but he's not going to tell you how bright he is. He's never going to talk down to you. You're never going to know if he's the smartest guy in the room. He is. And he's very much a deflector um, it, with his assistant coaches, uh, it, with his players, constantly listening. What you think is an autocracy is not. Uh, I remember joking with, or Mike Boonholzer saying to me, we never liked all our assistants. Someone always had to disagree. Now, Sometimes you got reamed for it, but Pop, when we all agreed with Pop, whether it was coming out of a huddle or something at practice, Pop would stop and yell at us for saying, what are we missing? Someone, you know, you have to be missing. So one of us would have to be the bad guy and say, no, I don't think that's right. Sometimes they would get yelled at a little bit, but he didn't want yes men. What can you add? And I think that's why you see a Brett Brown in Philadelphia, a James Borrego in Charlotte, why Monty Williams can come back to the organization uh, and then and then spread his wings. Uh, Mike Brown do the same thing. You want to go succeed. Uh, and he said it's always tough because they're friends. It's tough to coach against your friends for those two or four games a year. But he's always proud of what these guys done because they have they are and their input is just as. Uh, uh, has has as much to say about the success as just Greg Popovich. You know, Pop says I get the win, but these guys they're the they're the contributing factor to all those wins. And of course, now you are the uh, the voice of the Texas A and M Aggies. So you know they had so they had two big signings. They had you and they had Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> one of the very one of the very first shows we did his coaches shows and and they're just cheering for him and I looked right at Jimbo and I said I thought they were cheering for me <laughs> so he he laughed at that yeah uh the, the timing is very good is it not it's a it's a heck of a time to be here uh in Aggieland and it was a, a phenomenal uh first season 
uh, here with, with Texas A&M and uh, absolutely enjoying this, this new role. This is, uh, I, I am blessed to be where I am right now. And uh, how has the Jimbo Fisher effect, how, how big has it been for A&M? It's been, it's been, uh, it's been tremendous. Uh, Kevin Sumlin did a, he did a terrific job. It's funny. I, I'm, I'm not going to dump on him at all or any of the other coaches, uh, but, but Jimbo is an Aggie. Uh, when you talk about the core values here uh, in, in Bryan College Station, uh, the core values of being an Aggie, uh, I think these fans realize that Jimbo embodies all of that. Uh, and it, it didn't take long for, for them to see how, you know, I use that word embrace, and, and Jimbo has used it too, and he's also talked about how genuine uh, Aggie fans are. So you have the excitement. So Kevin Sumlin, he brought the, he brought the talent in. Uh, that is for sure. Um, but there was, you, you'll hear some things about battered Aggie syndrome. Just when things are going well, Aggies expect the bottom to fall out. And that's what was happening in the last couple of years was, you know, terrific start, but, but fade at the end in the November swoons. So by, you know, when Jimbo comes in the first four weeks to have number two Clemson in your second week and number one Alabama in your fourth week, everybody could not wait for September to come. But I remember Jimbo, even after that Alabama game, said, this is when our season starts. It starts right now. Anybody can get up for these games. But what's going to happen against Arkansas when they play that game in, in Arlington? And you can see this team getting better, and you can see that, that everything, that the, the, the culture that he is building. And, and I've said this, there's always been a winning culture here because of the R.C. Slocums. Uh, and because of the Gene Stallings of the world and because, you know, the John David Crows and the Johnny Manziels, there's been a winning culture. What Jimbo brings is a championship culture um, because what he did at Florida State. And I also give a ton of credit to all the seniors here who they were recruited by Kevin Sumlin. You know, they, they weren't, you know, I tell them they bought in. They, they bought into Kevin Sumlin, but then they saw, I think they all saw where Jimbo Fisher could take them and take this team. So, they bought in, and I, I, I think I think it's a, an upward trajectory. I really do. I, the, from from the recruiting, uh, you know, because it hit the ground running, obviously. Um, but the, the but the players he's brought in, this next recruiting class that he has, um, there's a ton of excitement uh, here in in uh, in Aggieland, and 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 Jimbo has brought it, and and I really I truly believe it's it's for real, and this is this is a school that. I believe will contend for national championships and they, they brought in the right man in Jimbo Fisher. And now you're in the midst of college basketball season. A&M's been to the Sweet 16 two of the last three years, had a big upset in North Carolina last year. And uh, how's things looking on the landscape uh, so far this season now that conference play has gotten underway? Really enjoying working with Billy Kennedy, who I, uh, I, I flat out admire. Uh, I have been, I've been spoiled when it comes to coaches, to tell you the truth. And, and, and this guy is just, is just fabulous. It's, it's funny. I had a chance to meet with him before I even got the job. It was one of the face-to-face meetings. And all the Spurs, before I left, all the Spurs were telling, were telling me how much they love him as a coach, but even more how much they love him as a, as a, as a man. Uh, very much family and faith and, and so that was a lot of our our conversation and he had been a he had been a scout uh for the Spurs uh there for a little bit in between jobs and and RC Buford had been here on the A&M campus before he before he transferred so there was some familiarity there uh this is a team that lost Robert Williams and and uh lost DJ Hogue 
uh, Tyler Davis. They they had all gone pro. Williams in, in with Boston. Davis uh, was picked up by the Thunder. DJ Hoag's playing in the G League with Delaware. So they lost an awful lot of leadership. So you have a lot of freshmen who have turned sophomores, and you have a couple of guys who who sat out last year. You have a grad transfer, uh, one of the bigs, uh, and Christian Mekawulu and Josh Nebo sat out because he was a transfer from St. Francis. So they're learning how to play uh, in the SEC. Um, hard non-conference, uh, and Billy did it on purpose, but I had a chance to go to Gonzaga, who was number three at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and, and play there. And that was a, what, a, what a wonderful atmosphere and a preseason tournament in Vancouver. Uh, also went back out to Portland to play Oregon State. So they went six and five in, the, in, the, uh, in their non-conference. And right now, 0 oh, and 2 uh, in in conference, losing at home by two to Arkansas, and you know Tuesday we're in uh, uh, Lexington at Rupp Arena to play Kentucky. So this is a team that's learning, still learning how to win, learning in the new roles. But uh, I'm telling you, he's a he's a wonderful teacher, and uh, this is a young team that uh, you could see the growth already uh, through 13 games, and you'd love to see all the hard work that they have pay off. But it's it's been wonderful to be to be working with him and and these student athletes who are here you brought up lexington so do you remember 1994 lexington kentucky 1994 would ucf have been there that would have been their first ever yes sir against glenn robinson and purdue yep the big dog yes correct yeah yeah able to cover that uh, I had jumped to baseball at that time, so uh, I truly believe that the only reason why I was able to work some of those games is because I had the equipment, <laughs> and <laughs> Sunshine rented the equipment for me, so that's why I was able to do that. You know, it's, it's funny because if I look back, so UCF is there in Lexington. The next tournament was Providence against UMass and John Calipari yes. with, with Marcus Camby. Yep. Uh, in those days, and uh, see, that's what's so neat to see where UCF is now and where they were. And to me, it's you know it becomes really, really uh, personal uh, along the lines of you know to to watch the Dante Culpepper years. That's the time that I got to work with Charles Davis, uh, mm-hmm. and we were very new in our TV careers. Uh, and those times special to me. Uh, and I can tell you honestly, I remember doing the first game with him at the Citrus Bowl, coming down. So my boss was directing uh, John Cook, and Kevin Shank was producing, and he was the executive producer of Sunshine, but we were on the crew together. So John asked me, he goes, how was Charles? And I promise you, I looked him right in the eye and said, he's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, there's been, there's been, I think, nobody better. One of, one of my all-time favorite people to work with. Those, those are what makes it so special about that time in Orlando. And that's why I say, if not being able to do that, I don't know if I get the opportunity with the Spurs or be where I am right now with Texas a and I, I, I cherish those memories, but all those people, there are a whole bunch of people who made me better uh, and put me, and put me on this course. I had no idea at the time that I would be here, but I'm I'm so glad I had those those times with those people because I I've been really really fortunate to work with some fantastic fantastic people on camera uh, on mic and and even the crews that I've worked with. Well, and I can speak uh, personally to this as well, having uh, had the chance to work with you several times over the years too. That uh, you know it's likewise uh, getting to work with with, with you. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, you did some stuff with us at WGTO. Uh, yeah. You let, you let me do a couple of Orlando Cubs games when you couldn't be there. 
I mean, my goodness, uh, it, it, it seems so long ago, but yet it's not so, not so far away. No, not so, no, not so, it doesn't seem so long ago, does it? I don't, I don't know what it is, but that, that, those were some, those were some, again, some great times. Some, I mean, I think they were, they were wonderful. And that, you know, that, that association was great. I mean, you guys, you guys welcomed me and that was, that was something. I, I always appreciate that. And there was, man, was there some talent at that station also? Yes, sir. Yep. Some real good talent there. That's, yeah, no, they, that, that was, we had Todd Wright, who went on nationally yeah. to ESPN Radio fame. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and then, you know, great talk show hosts like Clive Thomas and Ed Hartley yes. and Peter Rocchio. Yeah. I mean, there was, a, there was a star-studded lineup there. It really was. It really was. Uh, it's just, a, 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 again, a lot of great people. Just a, a ton of uh, a great people to work with and, and, and enjoyed, you know, enjoyed so much of it. Um, you know, again, the early days of for me, for sunshine and the opportunities they gave me. And then I think that helped me also with the magic, uh, along the lines that, uh, my second go around with them, when I went back, it, it put me on a talent role as opposed to just, you know, someone in the, in the organization. So that talent role, and then that gave me the opportunity to freelance a little bit more. Uh, and that was again, very, very enjoyable for me. And, and, uh, a big step. In fact, um, I remember when David was doing those games for the Gators, the breakfast with the Gator games, the thought was uh, who was going to do TV. And Dennis Newman actually turned that down and recommended me uh, for those TV games. And, and I have always thanked him for that. Now I couldn't lose there in my mind. I was either going to, you know, do radio on the, on the magic radio network. Uh, but to do the TV was, that was, (laughs) <laughs> very generous of him uh, and to run with those opportunities uh, really helped me do a lot more TV in the future. And uh, I, I, I have, I have thanked him in the past and I also can't thank him enough uh, for those opportunities because uh, they, they were, they were wonderful to be able, be able to do that. And it, and it gave me a, a, a nice career in television. I really enjoyed doing that interview with Andrew. Uh, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever worked with in broadcasting and there's a lot of egos in broadcasting. It can be a little bit cutthroat. But Andrew is one of those guys who always would kind of give you the shirt off his back if he could. And he uh, uh, afforded me several opportunities, which I was always grateful for. And I guess the I guess what I'm really trying to say is he's a great guy. And I'm glad that he uh, took time to join me on the podcast. I We haven't probably spoken in like 23 years, maybe. And I reached out to him, and uh, he got right back to me and said, God, I, oh, I'd love to be on. And uh, speaking of that, I hope you are enjoying some of these segments I'm doing uh, on the Orlando Magic. We've had Erica Lee from uh, uh, Mix 105.1 Days, Barry Cooper, formerly of the Orlando Sentinel, and now Andrew. And we're going to have some more folks on uh, throughout the course of the, uh, of the winter and spring as they celebrate 30 years of Orlando Magic basketball. And, you know, we'll get into the heart and hustle years, and we'll get into the Dwight Howard uh, years, and we might even talk about the last several years, which we preferably would not want to talk about because there isn't really much to talk about. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, uh, uh, getting some good feedback at Talk at gmail.com, the email address you can reach us. And what I like about having these things... Like the USFL book we just did with uh, Jeff Perlman 
is we it's called evergreen content it's you know the podcast i will always address the the headlines of the sports news of the day and try to give you some opinions on that uh but these kind of kind of segments are are things that'll last you can go back and listen to them later if you don't catch them when the podcast is immediately out there uh for listening meanwhile i do remind you that you can subscribe apple Podcasts, google play spotify soundcloud tune in uh and go back and listen to previous podcasts we certainly would appreciate that make sure you tell a friend like and share do all that good stuff on uh, social media and with that we are done here thanks for listening to jeff allen sports talk follow jeff on twitter at jeff allen underscore 88 on facebook at jeff allen 88 and the website jeff allen sports and you can reach out to the show anytime by email jeff allen sports talk at gmail.com jeff allen sports talk is brought to you exclusively by kramer's salve for dogs Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients, so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.